0: Syllabi are important resources for students, faculty, and institutions. Syllabi that are readily available, consistent, accessible, and up-to-date can provide important scaffolding for students. In this episode, we'll talk about a tool that can help both faculty and institutions accomplish all these things while keeping faculty focused on learning outcomes and course design. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning.
1: This podcast series is hosted by John Keane, an economist,
0: and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer.
1: Together, we run the Center for Excellence in Learning and Teaching at the State University of New York at Oswego.
0: Today, our guest is Jeffrey Ryman. Jeffrey is a coordinator of the Center for Excellence in Teaching at the Fashion Institute of Technology. He's also a consultant and educator at Parsons, the New School University. Jeffrey is the chair of the State University of New York's Faculty Advisory Council on Teaching and Technology. At FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology, he is also the chair of the Faculty Senate Committee on Instructional Technology. Welcome back, Jeffrey. Nice to be back.
1: Glad to have you.
0: (laughs) You make me
2: sound so busy that I think I have to cancel, though. So we'll do this another time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think you are just as busy as it sounds, from what I know.
2: And I'm very happy to set the time aside to be with you guys. This is a great topic.
0: So thank you.
1: Today's teas are...
0: Russian Caravan. Yorkshire Gold.
1: And Jasmine Green Tea.
0: We've invited you here. To talk about the use of the Concourse Syllabus Management Platform that's been adopted at FIT. Could you tell us a little bit about this service?
2: Yes, thanks. The product itself, and I like to preface whenever I talk about this product or VoiceThread for that matter, is we're always looking to have choices in the products that we use. And it's really always a needs based issue. What do you want to do, and how are you going to get it done? In the case of Concourse, which is a product made by a company called Intellidemia, we knew that we had some challenges with the use of syllabi at FIT, and we wanted to find a way to manage them. In most cases, what we found were products that were distributing PDF files or text files, but they weren't truly interactive, living syllabi. And let me explain what that means. First of all, like many colleges, we have a very high percentage of part-time faculty, which means that many of them only are in the college to teach their courses, which means that they are not necessarily exposed to the curricular process or all of the syllabi that represent the curriculum they're teaching. These syllabi tend to be handed down from semester to semester, in some cases, generation to generation. And as a result, we were finding that many syllabi either had no learning outcomes or the course description was out of date. We're all teaching in a technology-driven world, and a lot of what we teach at FIT is really based on practice. So products change, textbooks change very frequently. This is not unusual for any college. But at FIT, because we have about 70% part-timers, it's a bigger challenge. So in doing a search, we found concourse. And what concourse allows us to do are a few things. First of all, it allows us to synchronize how all syllabi are formatted. So students going to each class where a concourse syllabi appears are seeing a very similar appearance and the sequence is very similar. Now, I want to stress that it is editable. It allows for full academic freedom, except in certain areas where the college, and I'm talking about the Faculty Senate Curriculum Committee, and the faculty as a whole feel certain things should not be edited. For example, the course description and the learning outcomes that the course is predicated upon. Those should be uniform. So if all three of us are taking the same course from different instructors, we should not have different outcomes. And many faculty were taking it upon themselves with all sincerity to amend the outcomes to better fit their practice or to better fit the way they think the course should be taught. And this, by the way, was not just the part-timers, the full-timers too. In one department, I was pelted with tomatoes when they found out that (laughs) they're no longer able to edit the outcomes. However, we need to put the students front and center in this situation. They sign up for a course and their friends are taking the same course. They should have certain unifying elements. So the synchronization of format, the format is fully digital, but you can make a very nice looking PDF. It is completely compliant for screen readers, font size, color contrast, and they have a VPAT that is easy to access that you can see basically their compliance levels, which have improved. And when you look at it, it's not like a beautiful piece of graphic design, but it has a pleasing appearance. So many syllabi are in times Roman and people are editing Word documents where they don't know how to manage the formatting. The formatted syllabi allow you to input all the things you're allowed to input. And let me give you examples of what faculty will input. They'll input their own unique course policies. They'll input their absence policy. At FIT, we do not regulate the grading scale from course to course. So there are some people who have an A that starts at 94 and others have an A that starts at 95. Those things are permitted. In addition, you can put down with the materials needed for the course, the office hours, and really your whole calendar of how you have the course unfold. So if all three of us using this scenario are taking the same course in different sections, the syllabi can be quite different with respect to how each professor teaches to their strengths. But that does not mean that the pillars that support that course and the way assessment is achieved are unified. So how do we do this? First of all, like many colleges in the SUNY network I can speak to, they use Banner. And Banner feeds will synchronize through the concourse product. So we actually input all of our learning outcomes and all of our course descriptions into feeds that are updated on a daily basis. So I'll explain how the feeds work a little bit more in a minute. But what that means, though, is everybody in each course is getting the same thing. Now, that is on a course level. When you look at an institution wide level, there are many policies and services that are available to everybody in the college. And we found that many syllabi either were out of date or did not even have them. So here's examples of things that will go into what we call school policies and resources? Where is the center that helps students with special needs? Where is the learning center, the tutoring center, advisement, counseling? Where is the policy on academic integrity? All of these things are put into a separate feed that's updated each semester so that they represent the current state of affairs. We're never more than 14 weeks out of date.
1: From a student point of view, I can imagine how useful it would be to have such consistency that you're describing from class to class, so that you know that the information that you get is accurate, but also where in the document it is, that the heading structures and things look familiar, so it's easy to skim and look at it. I don't think faculty always stop to think about that a student might have five classes, and for each class, it's almost like having five different employers, where each place has its own set of policies. And Like this information is located here and that information is located there. So I can imagine for consistency purposes, how useful that could actually be for a student.
2: It does help the students and it helps the students and the faculty. And I'll give you two examples. If there is a concern about plagiarism, both the professor and the student can go to the syllabi and click on the latest policy and procedure for dealing with plagiarism because we have different schools of thought on plagiarism, right? Some people think they should be tarred feathered and, you know, left outside on a cold day. And other people treat it more like it's a learning process. The school has very, very clear prescriptives on how to deal with plagiarism. And when everybody's using the same tool, it means that the students are informed of their rights And their ability to defend themselves and to deal with the issue. And faculty are prescribed a step by step process as well. That's a great unification of process. It also is reassuring to a student who doesn't have to go looking for that information. Another example is the academic integrity policies in general are very prescriptive to the students and the faculty alike in terms of best practices when it comes to the proper attribution. Of content and also the rights of use. And actually, we have a significant issue with visual plagiarism. Yep. I knew that you would say (laughs) yep to that one. And so this works. So, without beating it to death too much, in simple terms, so what we do is if you visualize your college, your college usually has several schools, and within those schools are departments, and within those departments are the courses. Taken as a whole, for instance, FIT runs around 2,100 sections per semester. We have five schools and many departments within. The way we use it is from the highest level, course policies and resources are shared throughout the school. Course descriptions, learning outcomes are curriculum-specific, and then the rest of it is left up to the faculty. The the first time they create a syllabus, it could take them a good hour and a half because you need to input each thing individually. And on a week-by-week basis, building your calendar the very first time will take more time. But then once you've done it, it is easily transportable from section to section, semester to semester. So the import process, not unlike importing a Blackboard course, Well, Blackboard you push from the old to the new. And with Concourse, you pull. So you go into the new course. So let me talk a little bit about the integration. Not that anybody's stopping me here. (laughs) We are a Blackboard school, at least at the present time. We are fully integrated with Blackboard. We use a product called API Adapter, which helps to manage the connection between concourse and our banner system. And it's very simple. It's just like middleware. It's open source. It's easily used. On a larger scale, there might be a fee, but for our size college, it's not really a big deal. So as the courses are run in Blackboard, and we do run three times a day early in the semester, there are several things that happen in every school that's using an LMS. The teacher assignments are updated, the course sections are updated, and course shells are generated. And Concourse will run right behind those runs. So that if John is teaching a course and he has three sections and one section was canceled, that update will be evident in Blackboard and he will not be able to create a syllabus in the course that was canceled. Or conversely, if a time has changed, that's updated too. All of this goes through Banner. So if you just basically think of it as a one-two kick, we do our feeds for courses into Blackboard and then syllabi into Blackboard. Every single course that is a credit-bearing course has a syllabus template associated with it. Now, let's just say it's an old course and it doesn't have outcomes. Concourse understands when there's something missing and will allow you to edit it. So if for some reason you got a course that didn't have outcomes at all, and in the early days, we have some courses we've been teaching here for 45 years, like shoemaking, (laughs) (laughs) the outcomes are not that different now than then, except maybe now you're using a 3D printer to make some of these pieces. And back then it was all nails and leather and hands, you know, so Nonetheless, when something is missing, the door is open to paste it in. Now, they're supposed to notify us when things are missing and we do get notified. Now, the faculty who use it like it, but it is an adoption process. One of the challenges is most part-time faculty are not notified they're teaching a course until anywhere from three weeks, a month to 48 hours. And so a lot of times they have to use what they have. And that means that the concourse syllabus is less likely to get used. Now, I've explained to you how we use it. And before we move on, maybe I should give you guys a little oxygen to ask me questions.
0: One question is, can students access this outside of Blackboard or can they only do it within their course? Okay, so the answer is yes.
2: When you create a syllabus, there is a link that you can get that's called a public link and that link can be shared just like a Google Doc that is view only. So they can use that link, they can print a syllabus that makes a very nice looking PDF file, if you generate a PDF file from it.
0: And is that persistent? If someone, say, wants to transfer a course into another institution, can they go back and use that same link to get a copy? To another institution? Well, for example, I'll have a student who two or three years ago took an online class here at for me. for And then they want a copy of that because they're transferring from one school to another. Is there a persistent link?
2: Yeah, they're better off making a PDF because the students only access concourse through either public links that are deliberately shared by the faculty or through Blackboard. And we close our Blackboard courses about a month after the end of the semester. So they would not have access to their course. And I don't think the link would work, but I've never tried it you've given me something to add to my list.
0: (laughs) I was just thinking if they could get it, it could save faculty a lot of work because I keep getting emails from past students who want a copy of the syllabus.
2: Wow, I've never had that happen, but you know, it's an interesting thought. I will definitely look into that.
0: Well, it's partly because I have 340 to 420 students in my large class every fall and some of them transfer or some of them were online students who are doing it for some other institution.
2: And at Parsons, it would
0: take me nine years to have that many. (laughs) Although that's just one class, but... Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I still have several others, but...
1: (laughs) He always wins that one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's winning. (laughs) In a recent podcast, Christine Harrington talked about her book on creating syllabi and so forth. And one of the things she noted is that she runs syllabus workshops that are really professional development workshops, and Rebecca does the same thing here, that building a syllabus could be really useful in terms of guiding faculty towards backwards design or to better instructional practices. Is that being used to some extent, or have you seen it being used in that way at FIT?
2: I personally, when I work with faculty for the first time, that's exactly what I talk to them about. The process of building a syllabi from Different sources, meaning how you've historically taught the course, what your unique policies are, but the normal, natural constraint of abiding by what the curriculum committee approved. So, in some ways, you're constrained, which means you need to understand, analyze, and incorporate the way the curriculum was designed. And then, at the same time, we can really engage them in what is the pedagogy that they're going to use in their course. When they build their calendars, we talk about the different types of activities and assignments that they can hypothetically project by doing their calendar ahead of time. And a lot of times, they just haven't had the time to really explore what are other ways that I could assess my students' progress. So the syllabus process allows you to really reexamine everything, kind of like when you clean out a closet and you put things back one at a time. I like that metaphor. Yeah, know, that's a good one. But that's what building syllabi is. And this product kind of requires that you do that. I can't tell you there's other scenarios, though, that are being used. For example, some departments have course coordinators who coordinate all the faculty teaching that curriculum. And so the course coordinator will meet with the faculty as a whole and share their syllabi so that the other teachers can actually if you will, harvest intelligence from them. And because they have a course coordinator, they can touch base as needed on what works, what doesn't work, and what they need. That's a side benefit.
0: What are some of the other features that you don't use, and why not? One of the things that it is capable
2: of doing is allowing a department chair or even a dean to audit all the syllabi, to view all the syllabi, So there's a management function there that allows you to, if in effect, take a look at what the syllabi look like that are going to these students. We don't do that at FIT. Some departments request or require that the syllabus be submitted each semester by a certain date, and others just coordinate and follow up with the faculty without that formality. So the concourse product allows you to audit and manage as much as is either permitted or accepted within your culture. At FIT faculty really like to hold their syllabi close and they are not all comfortable. And this reminds me of the argument at MIT when they went with opening all their syllabi that there are still professors who will not permit that. And that's the same thing here. There are some people who said everybody can look at my syllabus And others say no, and no is no. So the college does not take a very strong top-down position on that.
0: In my department, at least, the secretary collects all the syllabi for review or potential review. I don't think anyone's really reviewing them, except when we go through middle states accreditation and so forth. And then that whole portfolio goes to the evaluators. But occasionally, we've had a syllabi study on campus where people have gone through and evaluated them. But it was generally voluntary submissions to that.
2: Just to give you another perspective, at the new school, you are required to submit your syllabi for every section you teach, named in a very specific fashion, and the implied consequence of not submitting it could interfere with your reappointment. You know they feel very strongly, it's very important. And I agree with you, John, they probably don't read everyone, but if there's a problem, they have everyone and they can look at it. And I bet you they do look at areas they're concerned about.
1: Say That reminds me of when you were talking about some of the capabilities of the system that I was thinking, having some of these structured ways of having policies and things in the documents and having a repository where they're all located prevents the like ask mom versus ask dad for (laughs) like the scenario where students are trying to find the answer they're looking for. So they'll just keep asking people until someone gives them the answer that they want to hear. But if it's really formalized and that process is reinforced and that the policies are reinforced and consistent, that they're always going to get the same answer no matter who they ask.
2: And I've had faculty thank me as if I created the product because this takes some of the guesswork out of what they need to do. And I think realistically speaking, especially as we all look to bring in learners from different stages of their lives and different points in their careers, whether they be read out of high school or they're coming back for additional learning, that tools like this permit a more consistent product for whoever is coming in from anywhere. And it kind of helps support what I'm going to call the shared governance of a faculty that generates curriculum, which is the lifeblood of the college. And that protection is really, really valuable. So many people work so hard to make sure that these courses maintain their relevance. And at FIT, we're opening up new degree programs and closing old. And so as we continue to build toward the near future, this product becomes more and more valuable. But I will say on the other side, it's an organic process and it takes time.
0: What went wrong along the way? What things might you do differently if you were to implement it now?
2: First of all, typically a lot of people who are instructional designers would be involved in training people to use a product like this and showing its value within a course design. But the upfront implementation process in a banner school, really requires that you have somebody who understands how feeds work, how to generate feeds, and how to test feeds. The folks at Intellidemia, they refer to themselves as syllabus geeks, will provide an implementation manual, but that manual is best read first by IT. To be perfectly candid, you need that upfront integration to be rock solid in order for everything else to work. In my case, We came in early on the product and their implementation strategy was not 100% clear. And I want to emphasize that my experiences were more challenging than many people who are newer customers. But you do need to have IT support and engagement with it. And I recommend do a pilot with just a small amount of courses so you see how it plays out. Initially, we did previews. I did a pilot with 14 faculty. They all loved it to bits, but they all had trouble convincing other people to try it. And the organic process of growth has begun to speed up now. But the initial sale was difficult. And you can't push. You have to kind of show value. And if you build it, they will come. Is not always true. We still have Resistance in some pockets of the college and our academic affairs office has been very reticent to do a top down push on this. However, I will tell you that one of our business and technology departments that has a very high adoption rate, about 80% of the syllabi in that department, and that department has 1,200 students. It's bigger than some community colleges, just that department. And when they had a accreditation review by an organization that directly works with the merchandising and marketing type colleges and courses. They cited this product as being an integral part of the success of the department, the way they are coordinating courses and making sure that everybody has that same syllabus tool at their disposal and is implemented. And so they were congratulated for what they did to the point where I know they've encouraged others to do the same.
1: I can imagine that some faculty pushback would come from the assumption that if most of the structure is there and you can only edit some of the language, some of the ideas that Christine Harrington brings out in the motivational syllabus, writing from a particular point of view, being warm and welcoming, and not like, don't do this, don't do that kind of language could get lost if you're not the writer of all of the content or have the ability to do some of those things. Can you address that a little bit?
2: Yes, and actually, I'm going to tell you that your interpretation right now is far more constrained than the reality of what we do. When you open up your course for the first time and you see the syllabus template, here's what you will see that's generated by the college, let's say, or by the system. The header, which has your course number, your CRN, The meeting date, the meeting time, and the meeting location are all managed through Banner. Then your name will appear as it appears in the system. So that's always manageable if somebody's unhappy about something or they've hyphenated or, you know, all these things that happen. And then the next thing they see is the course description as approved and the learning outcomes. The only other part of the syllabus that is constrained are... The institution's policies and resources. The faculty have complete freedom without any approval process to then add to the syllabus everything about their absence policies, their philosophy on teaching. Their calendar is completely written in their own voice. So it's really only those three things the institution's resources, the learning outcomes, and the course description everything else is up for grabs and is used very, very differently by different people.
1: I can imagine I had the idea that that was probably the case, but I think a lot of times when we hear a system that's going to manage these things, red flags come up and that's what the assumption is and that Mm -hmm. can prevent adoption. So thanks for making that more clear.
0: Pretty much all colleges have fixed statements that have to be included in syllabi. We certainly have them. But I suspect if we looked at all the courses out there, we'd see some were five years old, some were 20 years old, and some might perhaps have never gotten in statements on disability access and so on.
2: And, you know, as I'm sure Christine Harrington has stressed, also, many teachers are not trained to be educators. They are practitioners. They are people who have been out in the world, they're bringing their world experience in, and then they're being asked to follow the structures of an educational institution. And so we're actually, by doing this, providing them with, let's call it the core skeletal needs that every syllabi should have. And let's be candid, many people take more than one course or one semester to improve their practice. So the better we equip them up front, the better start they get.
1: Seems only fair that we scaffold for our faculty like we try to scaffold for our students.
2: We don't talk about that enough, do we? I remember the first time I taught as a part-timer, I felt like I had great experience, but I went in and was talking to a bunch of 20-year-olds. The only 20-year-old I've been talking to lately was my own daughter, and that's not such a good conversation all the time. (laughs) So with your students, you learn over time that when you're working with employees versus students, there's similarities, but there's far greater differences, especially when it comes to motivation, risk-taking, quality of work, and so on. So we need the freedom to learn and to grow and to help each other. The kumbaya moment we just had.
1: Yeah, it feels very supportive and loving. <laughs> How have students responded in general? I don't think we've really addressed that.
2: Feedback I've heard is that The student reaction has been positive. Ironically, some faculty were thinking it was not advantageous for students to see the same format in different classes, but students actually recognize it makes it a lot easier for them to navigate. I'm going to make an analogy that I think works. I'm making a generalized statement here. Most faculty who use rubrics have far less problems with their students in terms of their perception of assessment because they know that the entire class is being graded with the same tool. And I think that when they know that all of their colleagues or their classmates, if you will, are getting a product that is also regulated in the fundamental basics, that that tells them that their teacher and their friend's teacher are dealing with the same basic tool set before they go in and exercise their freedom as educators. Does that make sense? Is that a good analogy? It does.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. It also gives the perception that the faculty, they're all at the same level or they all have expertise and they're all to be respected, mm-hmm. which can be really helpful.
2: Students give great feedback, and especially when they're asked. I don't want to digress into it too much, but even in, like in an open pedagogy situation where students are really generating content, it can be amazing how they can be so insightful as to the benefits. Maybe we don't always give them enough credit, but my interactions with students about the product have been, it shouldn't be a big deal that this should be a no-brainer. To them, it's kind of like, why is anybody not using it? And I don't want the Intellidemia people to be too happy. Because there's always room for improvement. Because I want them to worry. I want them to worry. And I want other people to make a product that competes with them too, because we shouldn't just have a singular product that functions in this level. However, the amount of work that IntelliDV has done to make the plumbing work, I think is truly impressive. And it's kind of, and I've mentioned before, VoiceThread, and you know, the three of us talked about VoiceThread some time ago. VoiceThread continues to improve their product in ways that are very impressive, including most recently, automatic captioning. And with the Syllabus product, a lot of what they're doing in terms of improvement is related to the simplicity of setting it up. The appearance of the product, the compliance of the product, and also, and this was a weak point for the product for some time, reporting. In the early days, I could not get a report that would tell me exactly how many syllabi had been opened. It took a long time before they were able to do that, not because they disagreed with my request or anybody else's, but because they were really working on their back end systems to be as flexible as possible so they can continue to add on. So although we do not use the management tools, I'm going to call them, they continue to improve those as well so that if each of you were chairs of a department, you would be able to get an instant picture of how many syllabi are out there and you would be able to view them. I know there's different points of view about that, but I think there's a difference between looking at something and playing editorial role in its creation. I think that people who overstep On the administration side, and start telling faculty what the verbiage should be or what the emphasis should be, they're trading in very dangerous territory. And that's true whether or not you're using Microsoft Office or Acrobat or Intellidemia, right? It's really a principle,
0: it's not unique to any one product. I do get reminders for sending in one of my syllabi every spring because I have the students develop some of the syllabus on the first day of class. So I just have to remind the secretary for my department that the syllabus will be coming as soon as we have a chance to finish putting it together. But again, that's not unique to this because even without the system, secretaries can be monitoring to make sure everyone has submitted their syllabus.
2: But, you know, there's a good scenario there, John, where even with this product, and by the way, I do this in my class, I have a conversation with them about how late is late And how many absences have an impact and what does an A mean and a B and so on? So even though they may not be able to alter exactly what we're doing in terms of what's required, they do get to change the verbiage on some of this stuff to fit what's real. And so if you are using Intellidemia, you make those edits either in the classroom or that night, and that's the way everybody will see it the next time they go in. Right. You're working with a live link. Mm -hmm. One other thing, some faculty actually use the syllabi as a living document of what the assignments are. In other words, they update the calendar daily to represent what's due each and every week.
1: I do that. <laughs>
2: yeah, so there you go. You would love this for that reason then. So students know that they must go into Blackboard to view their syllabi or use the link that they've gotten to view it and not to depend on a static document.
0: We always end the podcast with a question, what are you doing next? As far as this topic is concerned,
2: we're beginning to work with the Office of Academic Affairs, which we report up to, on having more workshops on the creation, editing, and strengthening of syllabi. And we're using that as a unifying message about actual course design as well. So if somebody is projecting how their syllabi will impact their students, and then they link that or align it with the course design, it makes for a much more powerful subject, as opposed to feeling that they're related, but they're not connected, and we're trying to connect them. So that's really what's... It's much more holistic than it is anything else. I will say this, that anybody is welcome to contact me if they want more information, and I would then be willing to share with them an example of the syllabi, for example. So there you go.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jeffrey. It's always a pleasure.
2: It is a pleasure. It's nice to see you both. And let's keep that tea going. (laughs) Yeah, mine is empty. I just have to say that I think that you guys do a great job. The series is so relevant. And I'm doing a commercial now for you, but it's from the heart that you guys are really performing a great service. And I just encourage anybody who's listening for the first time to go back and look at the incredible archive of content there that is all relevant. And
0: frankly, none of it is older than, what, about 18 months, John? I think so. I think our first significant podcast was November of 2017, the first week in November.
2: That's right. And there's so many. I have found that it really enhances not only my teaching process, but it also helps me in terms of my work I do as a faculty developer. So thank you both for that. It's really great. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Thank you for such kind words. And if you you. want that full list, we do have a page for that now. It's tforteaching.com slash episodes.
0: Or just go to tforteaching.com and click on, I think it's episodes episodes Mm -hmm. at the top. So you don't have to scroll through six or seven pages of descriptions (laughs) now.
2: Well, thank you again, Jeffrey. My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you guys again soon. Take care.
0: Editing assistance provided by Kim Fisher, Chris Wallace, Kelly Knight, Joseph Andrew, Jacob Alveson, Brittany Jones, and Gabriella Perez.